What is up, wrestling fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast here on the Small Cat Moment channel. I'm your host, as always, Callum Wiggins, and joining me on this journey back in time, as per usual, Robert DeFelice. All right, Callum, you have to pick one. You're either locked inside Hell in a Cell with Brock Lesnar, in the shower with Al Wilson, or in a hotel room with Tracy. Which one are you picking? Well, I think the... I guess if Al Wilson keeps his clothes on... Like, yeah, like he does he in this episode, <laughs> then I think the one that I'm avoiding is the uh, is the Brock Lesnar Hell in a Cell. I'll I'll probably just take the Tracy thing. She doesn't seem like she seems wooden, but I guess like she is a woman after all. So I guess yeah. they, they ha- she has that benefit over the other two. Fair enough. I I would have also taken the shower with a fully clothed Al Wilson because th- that seems safe. Yeah, it seems, it seems extra safe if you ask me. But here we are again for episode 17 of the of our podcast here, where we go back in time to the year 2002, check out all the episodes of SmackDown that were taking place under Paul Heyman's stewardship as the head writer. So what we do here is just, like, first of all, hand out a few little, uh, well, not so much plugs out of the way, but just a few instructions for you guys. If you're enjoying this show, then please do leave a like and drop a comment below. Let us know what you, your thoughts about this episode or anything that we're doing so far. If you are listening through the podcast feeds, then leave us a rating or a review or anything else that you can do through those platforms. There is a playlist on the YouTube channel if you want to go all the way back to the beginning, listen to all these episodes in a loop. That would be great. And there is a link in the description to this particular episode of SmackDown if you have not watched it in advance. So get all that stuff out of the way quickly. Let's talk about some news that were taking place at this point in time. So let's talk about New Japan because we sometimes like to dip into that every now and again. So this was in the week where New Japan's 30th anniversary show took place in the Tokyo Dome with a few notable results, which I thought was like worth pointing out. So the first was a match between Great Muta, except that it wasn't Great Muta, uh, defeating uh, Hiroshi Tenzan, so who's still working today, obviously. But um, this wasn't Muta, this was a fake Great Muta. Because Great Muta had moved to another promotion. I can't remember exactly. I mean, it might have been All Japan at this point, but it might it was it was definitely working for another promotion. Was so, he already doing? Well, it's 2002. He might already be doing zero one. Potentially, yeah. So he had been replaced by a wrestler called Troy Enders, who is not very well. Why do so? Not even this a point. Japanese guy. No, he was just a guy putting on the Great Muta makeup, and wasn't particularly good at being Great Muta. That's depressing. <laughs> That's other match really sad. <laughs> Other matches, Masahiro Chono defeated Joni Laura, uh, obviously well, China. That's good. That's, that seems like the proper result. Yeah, it was about, uh, I think when I saw the times, it was about 11 minutes, so which is probably about 10 minutes longer than any China match really should be going at this point in her career. But they, they decided to try and make it work. Joni was all over TV at this point in time, so this was one of the bigger matches on the show. Yeah, it's uh, I guess it's a weird clash of like the Monday Night Wars. It's China of DX and Masahiro Chono of the New World Order. You also had Bob Sapp defeating Sap. uh, Manabu Nakanishi. So Nakanishi is a former, well, at this point in time, he hadn't been IWGP champion, but he would be a future IWGP champion and only recently retired, I think, earlier this year. It feels like even longer because earlier this year was before the um, coronavirus stuff just took over New Japan. So Yeah. <laughs> got out, got um, out just at the right time. Bob Sapp is great. 
Yeah. I, I, I know that he's maybe a guy who you associate with not the hottest era of New Japan, but he's he himself is great. And the main event was New Yuji Nagata successfully defending his IWGP championship against uh, Kazuyuka Vegeta. So, yeah, it's just like that, that too. That's where Nagata was at that point in time. So that's basically just a little encapsulation of some of the weird and good stuff, I guess, in certain areas that New Japan was up to at this point in their 30th year. Obviously, their 40th year anniversary was a lot more, I guess, spectacular. because, Well, yeah, because it was in the early... Early 2010s, this was when uh, they've had a stronger relationship with Ring of Honor, so they were getting talent from there. Okada was in his infancy at this point in time, so you had Nakamura at his height and uh, Tanahashi and a load of other great... I think, I don't even know if Bullet Club was around by that point. Uh, 2012, they might be about to form. But they have a lot of talent at that point in time that's definitely outstrips what they had in 2002. But we move on to another discussion. We obviously talk about Bob Sapp, somebody from somewhere who had worked before, but was someone outside of wrestling at this point in time coming into wrestling. Let's talk about the potential of that happening in WWE, because reports were circulating in the UK that a match had been signed for No Way Out 2003 between Brock Lesnar and Lennox Lewis. That did not happen. No, it did not happen. <laughs> um, so this was obviously premature, but the Observer highlighted that there had been preliminary talks held between Vince McMahon and Lewis's people about him coming into the company in some form or fashion. And what a weird, like, hey, I got an idea. So WrestleMania is in March, but you know what we want you to do in February? We want you to fight Lennox Lewis. Like, that's a bit strange. Well, I guess the idea was that Brock was penciled in already at this point in time to be in the main event, or at least fighting for the championship at WrestleMania 19 against Kurt Angle, it was believed to be. Obviously, it didn't end up being that way. I think at the end of this point, they were thinking this was going to be the match at WrestleMania. So they had to give Brock something to do in the meantime. So they thought, why not give him a big celebrity match to try and drum up some attention before the uh, big show? It would have worked, I think. Yeah, would have been a spectacle to say the least, and it would have been really cool. I don't think Lennox Lewis ever did anything with WWE, and outside of like he waved the flag at SummerSlam in '92. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he does anything else at that point. It's just, it was just a preliminary talk held. It was similar to probably what they were hoping to do with the uh, Mike Tyson thing with Austin. Maybe just do the same thing with Lesnar and Lewis instead. So I think. That match would have been a lot better than Tyson Austin from a technical standpoint. Uh, more interesting, like, showings up in different places. Uh, Chris Rock appeared in TNA. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah, so he was wow. on one of their pay-per-view specials. Um, he was using the TNA set and some of the TNA wrestlers for a scene in his movie Head of State. And I don't think as... I've ever seen that. No, I don't think I haven't either, but... As part of that, he appeared, cut a promo about how NWA TNA wrestling is the best wrestling in the world. And he even said in the promo that it's not fake. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, Nothing but, says best wrestling in the world like the fairgrounds in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, other stuff in WWE, there have been meetings and discussions backstage about a factor about the business being down and like business not being as booming as it was back in the Attitude Era is that too many people in the company don't know how to work. 
Really? Yeah, and guess who was the uh, key driving force in that uh, in that argument? I, I'm gonna guess Jim Ross. No, it was the man who kind of typifies working at this point in time, Triple H. Oh, you know that makes sense. Yeah, that that does make a lot of sense actually. I do find it quite hilarious. Like it's not like everybody who was on the roster at this point was great. But first of all, the Attitude Era, where they were getting all that stuff, you can't say that all the people involved in the Attitude Era were great workers. I think Triple H is dealing with the realization of, like, damn, we had all of these established workers. Like, The Rock, at that point, was the exception, not the rule. Whereas, at this stage, you've got, like, some ECW dudes, uh, a lot of OVW stars coming up. So there were some people who didn't know how to work, especially over on Monday Night Raw, which might be when he made the call and just said, hey, Sean, can you do this full time? I guess so. But it's just a case of I think it's kind of rich to say that they were pick- the reason why business is down is because th- there aren't enough people that are working properly. When you have Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Edge, Rey Mysterio, Rob Van Dam was a, a good worker, regardless of how he was positioned, stuff like that. Chris Jericho. Kane, The Undertaker. These people knew what they were doing. It's just they weren't stars like The Rock and Austin. It's the difference. I, I do think it's interesting when you look at the next two WrestleManias following this comment are headlined by workers. When you really think about like Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, you know, Chris Benoit, Shawn Michaels. So Maybe that was something he was really pushing for, and maybe that says a lot about the current state of NXT. I guess I guess there there are parallels you can draw there. The other news is that Randy Orton uh, had shoulder shoulder surgery, which would keep him out of action until early two thousand three. Well, this is the famous RNN stuff that we'll get, mm. and I I always enjoyed that stuff. I enjoy Randy. I make no secret about that. Yes, they they used the shoulder injury as a vehicle to turn him heel. He'd been basically just a bland baby face for his entire run up to this point. Yeah, you're not getting there. So now we've gone through some news. Let's talk about what Raw and SmackDown were both up to, starting with the ratings. So the ratings for this edition of SmackDown, so the October 17th, 17th of October episode, scored a 4.01. So just sneaking over the four mark that they've held on for for quite a few weeks and months at this point. Al Wilson remains a draw. Uh, Four million people watching Al Wilson. I want to point this out. Because if you look at what they're not watching today, four million people were watching Al Wilson. Uh, Compared to Raw's 3.8 rating, which is, yeah, for the uh, 14th October edition. So what was happening on that 14th October edition? Well, we had a title change. The Tag Team Championships changed hands for the... I'm, I'm, get, I'm thinking it's now the, um, the second time in less than a month as Chris Jericho and Christian defeated Kane and the Hurricane. And they would hold it... I, I don't think they'd make it through the end of the year. They lose it by December. Yeah, they lose right? it at uh, Armageddon. Armageddon, yeah. Um... Good tag team. I think they got a lot better when Christian found himself and found his proper look because that red singlet 
and like the long hair, it really doesn't click, especially looking back at it. Yeah, they would end up forming. I mean, this is the only time that they held the tag team championships as a team, but they would form a very good partnership leading into 2004. We had, um, uh, so there's the Kane and Katie Vick stuff is going on. Uh-huh. And um, I, I made a bit of a, I made a bit of a, no, I made a bit of a faux pas last week by suggesting that this is the week where Triple H does things with a mannequin. It does not happen yet because they somehow decide to extend it beyond No Mercy. They extend it beyond the pay per view. They yeah, they carry on with the Katie Vick stuff for weeks after the pay per view. Yeah, even though Kane is not the guy who ends up winning the title from Triple H for the Survivor Series. It's... So wait, is it before the pay per view or after the pay per view that Raw ends with Kane stuffing Triple H in a trunk and it says, after. "You're kidding." <laughs> Yes, yeah, the week. Oh after. my God! No wonder they just shipped, jumped ship right over to Shawn Michaels. <laughs> wow! Yes. So this week it was just a big long promo segment with essentially Triple H. Well, it was a promo segment with Kane talking about the situation, saying that Katie Vick was a woman that he cared about. They went to, I think it was when they went to prom together. Now, they, is this pre or post fire incident? Um, Does anybody well, 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 ask that this, question? This, I mean, this is definitely the point where Kane uh, suffers from emotional scarring rather than physical scarring. I guess so. Well, essentially, oh, essentially, it was it was a terrible angle that completely retconned the Kane character up to this point. So it it served no purpose and actually served to lessen what Kane's legacy had been up to this point. And they would retcon that in about eight months. Yeah, exactly. But it's the idea that so Kane had been driving her home from the prom. That he swerved to avoid an animal in the road. The uh, the crash caused injuries to Kane and um, led to Katie Vick's death. Said that it was a complete accident. Triple H refutes that, saying that Kane was bit had been rejected by Katie Vick and so took out his revenge <laughs> by killing her. And, he, and, he, and his evidence and his evidence for that is the idea that they found Kane's semen. On the side of uh, Katie Vick's body when she was exhumed. And, uh, what? You know, go, going back. Wow. Yeah, this is. That's. Yeah. It's, it's not even. It's not good on a TV no. side of things. It completely kills the character of Kane. Wow, that's awful. Other stuff that happened. Rosie and Jamal, under Eric Bischoff's orders, attacked Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe. Oh, no. Because Pat Patterson was there to kind of commemorate the fact that the Intercontinental Championship, this was the last Raw that the Intercontinental Championship would be on for a while. Such a dumb idea. Has anybody ever explained why they wanted to take away the IC title? One show, one champion. That was the promo that uh, Bischoff gave for it. Dumb. Uh, the, the main event was Triple H defeating Rob Van Dam in a Canadian lumberjack match. I certainly hope they were in Canada. I believe they were in Canada, but it's the idea that the lumberjack match was because uh, SmackDown was in Toronto, so I assume they were also in Canada as well. Uh, it's a lumberjack match where the lumberjacks have straps. Oh, uh, so it's like that TNA uh, revenge thingy. Yeah. The only difference being that uh, all of the people that are surrounding ringside were heels. So you had uh, Jamal and Rosie, Chris Jericho and Christian, people like 
Chris Nowinski, uh, Big Show, just a load of heels surrounding ringside. And so they would attack RVD when he goes out. And when Triple H goes out, they would help him back into the ring. Well, that was clearly um, the Canadian part. That's that bizarro world mentality. Uh, Triple H won, obviously, when Ric Flair attacks Rob Van Dam with a chair behind the referee's back to allow Triple H to win. And then Kane came out, destroyed absolutely everybody except Triple H, who ran away. And yeah, that was the final build for No Mercy on the raw side. Yep. Awful. Okay, let's uh, cleanse the palette a little bit. Let's talk about SmackDown. Barely cleansing the palette this yeah, week. That's but true, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> so show starts with a video package on Tracy's involvement in the Brock Lesnar Undertaker feud. Oh, I should say October 17th, Air Canada Centre in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, yep, still with the Tracy stuff. That's still a big part of this entire thing. Yeah, and it's it's just not good. So we have the semi-final match in the Tag Team Championship Tournament. Edge and Rey Mysterio versus Devon and Ron Simmons. Ah... Uh... So, so this isn't good. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's all Devon and Ron Simmons' fault. Which, Devon and Ron are good, like, especially Ron, but what the hell, man? Yeah, it's it's very short. This match goes less than five minutes. It's just, yeah, it's just Edge and Ray Mysterio get a bit of heat start with. Simmons just takes Mysterio down, gets a lot of, like, just gets, they, they enjoy beating up Ray Mysterio for a while. Uh, then Edge makes the hot tag. Edge launches Mysterio into a hurricane run on Devon on the top turnbuckle, which is obviously a really cool move. So that that was a highlight. Simmons then caught Mysterio trying to rest coast pop and then nailed him with a powerbomb because he loves beating up small people. Yeah, and it works. Oh, yeah, it works, definitely. Um, spear to Simmons. Devon tries saving Grace, but Edge reverses that into the execution and gets the victory. So... It was quite clear at this point that the Devon Ron Simmons experiment was probably dead at this point, but they just they'd already given him the first win, so they got to fight, fight this match and let's get him out of the way as quickly as we possibly can. I imagine Billy and Chuck would have been better. They would have been. It would have been a better match. Yeah, um, and like maybe they could have found some footing in the tag team scene. I mean, it doesn't matter. Billy gets injured, but you know. Yeah. So after the, the uh, match, Los Guerreros came in and atta- assaulted Edge and Mysterio because the assumption they would have had is that they're going to win their semi-final match, and so they want to weaken the opposition before No Mercy. So Eddie hit Edge with a frog splash, as well as like all the other stuff they were doing to them. Eddie at this point is sporting a really huge black eye, and I have no idea why. Weeks and weeks and weeks of having his face implanted into Rikishi's ass. Yeah, the, the ass just hit back there. It's just yeah. a little bit, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't find anything in my research to suggest what caused his black eye, but I can only just assume that he just caught a shiner in a match or something like that. Yeah, I mean, when you're working every night at that point, like they still were, he, he could have very easily been on the wrong end of a punch. So backstage, Funaki interviews Tajiri about being the special guest referee for the Jamie Noble and Nidia match tonight. Great, uh, great threesome pairing there. But I guess it depends on what the threesome you're describing is. <laughs> oh, of course, I mean, they're, they're very entertaining in the ring. Right, yeah, that's exactly. Yes. Yes. So Tajiri answers everything in Japanese, but mimes that both Noble and Nidia are crazy. Uh, Nidia then approaches Tajiri saying that she's not crazy. 
she says that she'll leave Noble the same way as it they she does in the bedroom, with her on top and him begging for mercy. At least she knows what okay. she wants. Yeah. <laughs> and Noble yeah. then no, no, Noble arrives and says that um because this is gonna says this is gonna be just like their sex life, rough. So basically they're both just describing matches as if it's the same as them having sex. So potentially they're gonna have sex in the ring. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Uh, Nidia says the rougher the better and slaps Noble leaving Funaki and Zajiri to break them both up from going after each other before the match but the match is right now so it's Jamie Noble versus Nidia um, I guess like, especially in the, the, like, today's context of WWE very rare to see a man versus woman match I mean honestly extremely rare also very rare to see such good follow-up like they left the building last week pissed off at each other and now they're like you know what? no we're gonna fight it's yeah. so not noble... the healthiest relationship but you know what because it was consensual hey so if you vent out your frustrations like just you solve your problems your own way as long as they that's... do it as long as they're constructive with it that's right so Noble on the microphone calls out Nidia. It's a bit like abrupt, so I assume he'd been like kind of promo on the crowd for a while before that. Uh, Nidia gets in the ring. She shoves Noble a few times, so he slams her back onto the mat. Uh, Tachiri turns his back because he just doesn't know what to expect about, like doesn't really like to see Nidia getting beaten up. And that means Nidia kicks Noble in the balls and takes over. Fantastic. Uh, Nidia pummels Noble repeatedly, leaps on his back until Noble like flips her over. Noble was just trying to end this. He's just trying to like try and keep his cool, trying to let's just end this match. Let's finish this. And Nidia keeps rolling him up into small packages and schoolboys and stuff like that to try and get a pin. So they're playing this off like not that Nidia is stronger than Noble, but Nidia wants to fight more than Noble does, and that's causing Noble to make mistakes and potentially lose. Right. Because she, you know, wants to, I guess, prove herself. And Noble just, he's a happy man. He's got a lady. He's got running water. He's got the belt. He doesn't want this. So Nidia continues fighting while Noble tries to carry her away. Nidia attempts a sunset flip. Noble sits down and gets the free. So it was pretty, Nidia was pretty physical in this side of things. I guess she felt like she could get away with more than she would do fighting, say, Tori Wilson. By fighting Noble instead. And I mean, when you're fighting Jamie Noble, he's going to take care of you. Yeah, absolutely. So Nidia tries to help Nidia up after the bell, but she slaps him. Uh, Tajiri then stalks her to essentially take some measure of revenge, but Noble stops him and then beats him up as well. And then they just double team stomp Tajiri for a while before Noble hits the Tiger Bomb. So that's the end of that tag team. Well, it leads to some good Tajiri-Jamie Noble matches, I'm sure. Yeah, so Noble and Nidia just reconcile and make out over Tajiri's fallen body. And even though it's not announced at this point, this would lead to a Cruiserweight Championship match at No Mercy between Jamie Noble and Tajiri. Seems fair. They probably announced it on Velocity. Yeah. Or Afterburn or something. You know, one one of the many recap shows. Yeah. So... Backstage, we have Undertaker getting mic'd up for an interview with Taz and Michael Cole, who will just be seeing a commentary, so it's just a two-camera one. Uh, after the break, Taz and Cole discuss the Tracy situation and ask Taker about the difficult time he's had. Uh, Taker says he's requested this time to put the record straight. Taker says that he does know Tracy, but he hasn't seen her in a long time, like seven years, 
before he met uh, Sarah. So, first of all... Well, then I you were put... saying, I don't know who you are last week? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I Now, I guess it's the idea that they want to extend this out a little bit. But it makes Undertaker very, very untrustworthy. Because yeah. he's already lied, and he's now admitting to us that he did lie. So why would we not assume that he's just lying again? I, I mean, did he help Kane get rid of the body? What, what, what else don't we know about the Undertaker? Yeah, it's just there's just tons and tons of stuff. Like, yeah, it's it, it's yeah. just it, it's not really endearing me to him as a babyface by him saying, "Yeah, I, you know that thing I said last week. Yeah, I lied about that, but you gotta believe me with this thing because." I'm because I lied and now I'm telling the truth. That makes me much more trustworthy now. Yeah, or maybe they're just short-term memory. They, nobody remembers that he said he didn't know her last week. Says uh, due to this stuff, the uh, his last week has been a living hell. But that'll be nothing compared to the hell that he puts Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman to through on Sunday at No Mercy. Honestly, the build to their second Hell in a Cell match is so much better. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um. Move to another backstage segment where Eddie and Charvo are gloating backstage, but they see their locker room has the lights turned out. They walk mm-hmm. in, turn the lights on, and there's Chris Benoit in the dark, which has uh, really bad connotations yeah. for the future. <laughs> yeah, the, that's a really creepy thing to look yeah, at. Yeah, in, in like like general context, moving forward, you probably be more um, relaxing the clown from it appear instead of Chris Benoit. Yeah. Um. Eddie and Chavo asked basically why why Ben was just staring at them, looking pretty mean, like mean mugging them. And Eddie goes into this fantastic acting performance where he is so belligerently upset with Benoit for assuming that Eddie and Chavo had something to do with his attack last week. Like he just goes into like he's professing his innocence, he bursts out crying, he talks about how Benoit helps him through all his personal demons, how they've been on the road for like decades at this point when Benoit does respond Eddie then gets angry says his feelings are hurt he tells Benoit to hit him if he thinks that he did it so badly Benoit just keeps standing there with his arms folded looking at them Eddie's so great in this segment yeah and honestly Benoit not saying a thing adds so much to this yeah and then Charvo pipes in basically saying that they don't have to sink to Benoit's level after what they did it's just just totally brilliant heel work. And then he says that Benoit should be ashamed and they leave with like Charvo trying to console and calm down Eddie. Benoit's just still there standing, staring them down. Amazing. Yeah, it was a great segment. And not to mention the fact that apparently in 2002 they actually watched the program. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Benoit is very aware of who attacked him. So we cut again, Noah backstage, just a, a very quick cut. Where Lesnar, Heyman, well, and Tracy are Why are they are giving walking. Tracy more things to say? <laughs> well, she, she, she called Taker a lying son of a bitch, and then they, they head to Stephanie's office. Because Tracy is ratings. Yeah. And they gave her a last name this week. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I just don't know why they spend so much time on this. No. But this next segment is maybe more important than anything on the show so far. Yeah, so it's John Cena versus Billy Kidman. Yeah, I'm right so, so John Cena, like Randy Orton, as we discussed earlier, had, has just been a white meat baby face since his debut. And he was pushed heavily out of the gate. And then that push very quickly fizzled out when the crowd showed absolutely zero reaction to anything he was doing. So the solution, turn him heel. 
see what he does with that. So Cena has a pre-match promo where he talks about how Kidman should get used to losing because he's the one that lost their tag team match last week. So not a great start. It was very bland. Not not great. Uh, he's doing the word life motion. Yeah, he started doing the uh, yeah the word life basic ergonomic stuff, even though he still has the generic entrance theme and he's still wearing the ridiculous tights. He's very not comfortable in his promo work. No, not not yet. And it's he. I mean, he won't start rapping until the Halloween episode of SmackDown. So, so we've got a little bit still of Cena finding himself as a heel at this point, but he works better as a heel. Like this he match does, was better. This match was better. We don't get to see a lot of. Yeah. So Cena blocks a Hurricane Rana attempt, catapults Kidman out of the ring at about 100 miles an hour because Kidman takes some of the most insane bumps I've ever seen anyone take at this point in time. Und- underrated guy. Look at this run he's had. We've seen him in some very good matches. Yeah, but some of the bumps he takes is just ridiculous. It's no wonder he got- was injured as kind of often as he was in like the like mid-2000s. Uh, yeah, but it was, was it worth the risk? I mean, he did get a job there for life. Yeah, that that is true. So Cena uses a thumb to the eye, followed by a delayed vertical suplex where he squats before planting Kidman, which was more impressive and showed more character and mood than anything Kid, uh, Cena has done up to this point in his career. Yeah, uh, so it's very clear that he'd gotten used to working as a heel in OVW, mm. and now like he's getting to show more of that. Uh, DDT by Cena that spikes Kidman for t- a two count. Uh, Kidman obviously reverses a powerbomb, but not into a uh, X-Factor, but into a sunset flip for this time, and then hits an Inzaguri on Cena. Uh, Cena tries to throw Kidman off the top rope when he's going up for the shooting star press, but Kidman reverses that into his own X-Factor, so he does get an X-Factor in eventually for an, a very long two count, which was very well put together. Uh, but the match ends with Cena getting a backslide, placing his feet on the ropes to get the heel victory. So Cena, clearly a heel now, doing all the heel tropes, the cheating to win, all that other stuff. So, yeah, this is a very pivotal moment because this is leading Cena into the gimmick that would make him SmackDown's biggest star for a, a long period of time. And then just make him the, the star of the yeah. company. Yeah, so this is all built up off the back of, yeah, the babyface stuff isn't working. Let's turn him heel and then see what we do with it. It, it it doesn't really catch fire, like I say, until... Um, I mean, it doesn't catch fire at the Halloween stuff, but that's when the gimmick is formed, and it and that starts to catch fire in, like, mid-2003. So so it, it's a long process, but Cena find, at least is on the path to finding his place in the WWE. Yeah, and part of me now wishes we'd gotten to see more of John Cena as a wrestling heel. Mm. Because we just don't, even when he's uh, mid-court heel on Velocity, he's wearing, you know, daggy pants and doing the rap gimmick. But this was a fun start. So Tracy marches into Stephanie's office, calls Mark a liar. Saying this they is slept, amazing. Saying they slept together 10 days ago. Uh, Stephanie says Tracy clearly has no respect for her or anyone else. So she tells her to leave SmackDown. And it's, not very, uh, it's not very... It's not very... Stick it up for your fellow woman there, Steph. What, what happened, Steph? Yeah, yeah, so Heyman leads her out. And then Heyman essentially is going crazy. on. Well, not he doesn't go crazy at this point, but he's basically talking up this idea that he, he sucks up to Stephanie saying how great she's done the first three months of GM, but then he talks about what happens in the next three months or the three months after that. 
if Brock Lesnar walks into Hell in a Cell and is allowed to be totally destroyed by the Undertaker, like that's your like Lesnar is your future and you're risking your future as Smack on SmackDown by putting him in this match. Well, so I, thought, I, I like the fact that throughout this whole thing, and we're gonna see it going into November even, Heyman just doesn't want Brock Lesnar anywhere near the Undertaker, and he's just livid that even Brock doesn't care about that. Yeah, but it's just a, it's just great stuff that Heyman is so good at going from really high pitched, really angry, really frustrated to being like a kiss ass and a politician in like pretty much the same breath almost. So um, definitely I enjoyed this Heyman with Lesnar more than modern Heyman. I think he was showing a little bit more range on the microphone. So- so he basically just basically his argument now is that he wants Taker to take the cast off. So if the match is still going to take place in Hell in a Cell, at least he wants Taker to not have used the cast as an offensive weapon. And Stephanie says that she will essentially talk about um, she will basically take the request into consideration. But then Lesnar should prepare for his match with Chuck Palumbo coming up next. Uh, but what we actually get is not Chuck Palumbo. It's a uh, it's more action inside Stephanie's office. Yeah, so post uh, yeah post this, after the break, Taker is in Stephanie's office now. And Taker is, again, frustrated and angry about the fact... Stephanie's having to deal with a lot of frustrated and angry people. Yeah, but she's see, she's used to that. Look at her father, look at her husband. You know, Stephanie yeah. can handle it. So Taker reminds Stephanie that it was Brock that broke Taker's hand in the first place. Uh, but Stephanie then says that Taker has been using the car as an offensive weapon. And then Taker says he'll show her just how offensive he can be, and he uses the cast to smash a lamp in her office. Well, he was also showing her how offensive he could be when he called Tracy a lying bitch, which Stephanie's reaction to was perfect. And Mark, why should we believe you when you last week said you don't know her? Yeah, exactly. You're already the lying. There's only one lying bitch in that room right now. And <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And Stephanie That's saying right. that she's the most influential CEO, like chief marketing <laughs> officer. <laughs> okay, we move on to Brock Lesnar versus Chuck Palumbo. Uh, so Chuck is now on his own after Billy uh, Gunn was injured on the house show circuit. Uh, quick interesting thing. I think this is the first time, I might not have been paying enough attention, but I believe this is the first time that I hear Taz say, here comes the pain for Brock Lesnar's, like when Brock no. Lesnar's entrance hits. No, this is the first. Yeah, so and that's amazing because this is a very great slogan, and it's I think of Taz when I say "Here comes the pain." Mm. So I'm a big fan of this match because even though it is like basically a pseudo squash match, they give Chuck enough that it like looks fairly competitive, and it's like. A horse match. I love horse matches just to break up the flow of like what we see nowadays, particularly of just little guys doing a lot of technical and high flying stuff. It's good to just see two guys beat the shit out of each other and just throw each I other g- around. I agree. And Palumbo, there was clearly an upside to him at some point. I mean, at this point, he's been in the ring with what Nash, DDP. Like he's been in the ring with some high profile legends, so he knows what he's doing. And I thought it, it was good. It makes me wonder what could they have done with Chuck. I think like his selling in this match was fantastic. He looked like he was being knocked loopy by everything that Lesnar was doing to him. 
And that may have been the issue, the fact that he's a huge guy. Like, he was at least the same size as Lesnar, if not bigger. And he's selling with the good thing. And at, when you're at that size, like, selling is not something that you really should have in your arsenal. That shouldn't be your biggest selling point. Yeah, and if they know that you can do it, they're going to make you the de facto job guy. So they do a lot of stuff. Lesnar's in control for the most of it. Uh, he charges Chuck in a tree of woe, but Chuck kicks his way away from that. Uh, he throws Lesnar around a little bit. He hits a pair of super kicks to Lesnar. Lesnar's forced to grab the ropes on a pin attempt, so that was like a good sign for Chuck. Uh, Lesnar reverses the belly belly into one of his own. He hits a huge clothesline, a backbreaker, and then an F5 straight off like the backbreaker. Like he lifts Chuck, who's a big guy, like we mentioned, onto his shoulders for the F5. A really impressive squash match, very entertaining. And this is peak Brock Lesnar. So Taker then attacks after the bell, hitting Lesnar, referees and production crew with the cast. So he's basically just flooring anyone that he possibly can with that cast. Uh, Lesnar's busted open and just about manages to escape when more people come out to stop Taker and prevent him from doing any more damage. Why couldn't Um, it have just been this? Just him being angry that that Brock Lesnar uh, busted his hand up. Because we need to tell soap opera stories, pal. Well, speaking of which, uh, Tori is stretching backstage in an outfit which clearly doesn't incorporate any sort of sports bra. And she manages to spot her dad, even though she's stretching in a different direction from about 30 yards away. Because he is miles down that corridor, it looks like, and yet she somehow manages to just see him and go towards him. She's got great vision, that Tori. Uh, Al says that he doesn't miss, miss Tori's match tonight. Uh, Tori says that she saw last week, so she's another one who watches the program, <laughs> that she saw last week that Dawn gave him a uh, room key to a hotel, but Al said that nothing happened. Uh, Tori calls Dawn a predator. Well. Obviously, yeah, which has different context in today's uh, form of like, speaking out movement, WWE, like wrestling uh, world or landscape. Uh, Al yeah. Gives, yeah, Al gives her a bunch of flowers. Tori heads off for a match. Leaves the flowers with Jan, the makeup lady. And wait, yeah. wait a minute, does Al Wilson have nothing else going on in life right now that he's just like I'm going to travel with my daughter? Well, what's happening here? What's the idea? Tori talks about the fact that like Al's recently divorced, so maybe he's like the idea that he might be just lonely. Oh, and so, so he's, he's lonely looking... and a little, little, little horny. That's what it is. Yeah. He's... Well, let's Dad talk... is going to call him that at some point in this show. Well, let's talk about a mixed tag team match. Rikishi teaming up with Tori Wilson to take on Matt Hardy and Dawn Marie. Matt Hardy's very good in this. Well, let's talk about what the very good thing about this is. Is This is the debut of the Mattitude.com entrance. Iconic. The, the, I'm going to put this out here right now and maybe I've got it. This is a top five greatest entrance of all time. In terms of like a sustained... Obviously, you have one-off entrances that are really spectacular, but as a sustained gimmick for an entrance, this is top five for me. I think it's a shame that he was... He and the internet itself were written off as, like, a... You know, ah, nobody cares about that, because this was so ahead of its time and so on point. It was so brilliant. It also shows how shitty the uh, WW.com website looked at the time. But to well, be fair, I, it probably works better than the current WWE.com website does. I believe, like, they literally just took the old uh, Windows media player and just, hey, we're gonna, we're just gonna put our logo here and 
same attitude. Amazing. It was and it the was first ever attitude fact is Matt Hardy has beaten Undertaker two straight times. So Absolutely. we start with an actual fact. Yeah, start with a fact, yeah. And then we'll just um see what else comes up. I mean all the Matt facts are facts. It's a fact oh. that he doesn't like like celery or something like that. Well, I do believe that it is a fact that he wrote those himself, so they may be facts about Matt Hardy. So Cole, before the match, announces that there's a uh, casting special for Tough Enough 3 taking place on MTV immediately following SmackDown. Hmm. So the third That's tough important, already. Tough Enough. Uh, tough Enough 3 won by John Morrison, or John yep. Hannigan at the time. So, yeah, so a, a guy that actually became something after winning Tough Enough. It's a rare, it's a rare sight, but it, it, they do exist. It took him a while, but you know. Yeah, well, yeah, well, at least he got there. For most of them, they don't even get that chance. So we have uh, this is pretty comedy laden, but it still has some like good matching on it. Uh, so Hardy immediately tags in Dawn to try and take on like Tori himself, but then Rikishi tags in because it's supposed to be man versus man, woman versus woman. Hardy immediately retreats and tags in Dawn Marie. Dawn then, for some reason, decides to go after Rikishi. Basically, says that calls him disgusting and then slaps him. Rikishi well, then she's tries. She's hardcore. Yeah, she's. Uh, Rikishi then tries to clothesline her, but Dawn ducks. But then he's caught in a military press and then thrown directly into Matt Hardy, who can get who got into the ring. So got a bit of comedy to start off with. Uh, then we have uh, the diva stuff where Tori's first move is a botched neck breaker to uh, Dawn Marie. Because of course it is. Of course. Um, my favorite, maybe my favorite stick face spot ever is in this match. So I'll let you. Uh, oh, well, we're, de- we're, de- we're definitely getting to that. But first of all, I want to talk about how uh, Cole on commentary makes a quote about uh, Tori popping out of a pin cover and Taz basically just says, Well, what popped out, Cole? It's like, uh, tits. <laughs> yeah. just, Tomatoes. Uh, let yeah. the pigeons loose. Uh, Taz, for a guy who's such a hard ass, Taz quickly becomes the weird, almost like Danny DeVito comedy guy. So there's one other thing before we get to Stink Face Pop, which is at one point Dormarie tries to do that sunset flip spot. Or it's not even the sunset flip spot. Just Rikishi stands over Dormarie, who's like laying down, laying out on the mat. And then he tries to sit on her. The baby face fat guy tries to absolutely crush the heel woman. Well, she's a heel. She deserves it. Um, so at one point, Cole also mentions the fact that Rikishi might be about to delete Mattitude.com. Which I oh, boy. Pretty funny. I, mean, That's very... pretty... I understand the internet. Yeah. I get yeah. it. Well, no, it's the idea that using the word delete with Matt Hardy. I just thought that was quite a like, just a oh, nice little right, egg. Right, that is true too. Yeah. So then we get to the stink face spot, which is uh, Dawn and Dawn Marie and Matt Hardy are both stuck in the corner. So Rikishi's going to go for another another double uh, stink face spot. So Matt Hardy, being the dastardly genius heel that he is, holds Dawn Marie's face in front of his own and forces Dawn Marie's face up Rikishi's ass so he can avoid. Hey, but in fairness, he also. Uh... He also helped her win, so it all works out. I can see why um, Al Wilson would have insisted that they had to do this stuff in the shower after this. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, so Dawn rolls, uh, Tori rolls Dawn Marie up into a small package. Hardy then 
when the referee's trying to get Rikishi out of the ring, he rolls the, the small package over, so Dawn's on top. So Dawn is the one who gets the pin in the end. So the heels win this match. Uh, post-match, there's still more action to happen, which is Tori low-blowing Matt Hardy, and then slaps Dawn Marie straight out of the ring, and then Rikishi splashes Hardy in the corner. Tori then acts like she is going to give the stink face to Matt Hardy instead, so Hardy gets and... super excited. <laughs> His reactions to this. Yeah, he was super pumped about this idea, uh, even though, as far as we know, he's still dating Lita, so that's like <laughs> some, something else entirely. But, yeah, listen, it's it's a work. Yeah, and but um, the fu- the funny thing is because he's a stupid heel, he decides to close his eyes for the experience, and so Tori then switches places with Rikishi. Rikishi then delivers the stink face that Matt Hardy avoided earlier. Amazing. So, yeah, it's a it's a fun spot. The stink face is something that always gets a a big pop from the audience. You know, I I really have grown appreciation for Rikishi. Yeah, he's um he's doing really good stuff on SmackDown. He's obviously not going to be touching the main event really, but he's he's a constant source of entertainment and good work and a good worker too. Somebody else that Triple H probably thinks doesn't is not able to work. Well, I, I doubt that because he's actually chosen to work with Rikishi quite a lot in his career. That, Don't that forget, he hired a turnover guy. And then again, also, if you didn't even think that Rikishi was a good worker, you wouldn't you wouldn't tell Rikishi that to his face. No, you would not. Uh, in the trainer's room, Heyman is going ballistic about the fact that Lesnar's cart is being treated. Uh, Lesnar tells Heyman to get to get Stephanie to agree that Taker has to take the cast off. So Lesnar at this point is like just pretty much forcing Heyman to just go out and do this for him. So Heyman, after the break, arrives in Stephanie's office again. And this time he's even more animated about it. He just like talked about all the blood that's on his jacket, all the blood that Lesnar is dealing with right now, how his blood will be on her hands if Taker's allowed to keep the cast on. He picks up the broken lamp and talks about how that could have been Stephanie's head because Taker's a loose cannon right now. Stephanie then just says that she'll make a decision later tonight. Heyman just rants and goes crazy and he goes raves about it. It's just like basically, take the cast off, take the cast off. He's a madman. You can't have him with the cast. And then it's just like Stephanie just keeps telling him to leave. So, yeah, Heyman's great. Heyman is great. Um, it's it's very shocking that they went through all of these bells and whistles for a match that nowadays is literally just, hey, Undertaker and Brock Lesnar are going to fight. Mm. And you've sold all your tickets. Well, let's see what the, the No Mercy card has in store. So we obviously mentioned the Cruiserweight title match isn't listed on here, but it is a Cruiserweight title match between Tajiri and Jamie Noble. There is Triple H versus Kane for the World Heavyweight Championship and in the Cornell Championship in a title unification match. Uh, so, yeah. We'll, we'll I, get I just to that. can't believe that uh, they even thought to get rid of the IC title. And that's all I think of when I see this match. So there's the finals of the WWE Tag Team Championship Tournament, which will be Edge and Rey Mysterio versus the winner of the main event tonight, which is Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit versus Los Guerreros. Um, uh, then we have, yep. It, it, it'll uh, be, it'll Trish be versus Victoria. Yeah, Trish versus Victoria. Which is not the match that we all remember them having. No, this is not the Survivor Series uh, hardcore match. This is just a straight one-on-one match. We have Rob Van Dam versus Ric Flair. So, yeah, Ric Flair doing more stuff with newish guys let's see what rvd can get out of him at this point we have and this is um just to add direct from last month because 
you know, Rick cost him the world title. Yeah, absolutely. So there, there is a reason for it. Uh, had the World Tag Team Championships, Chris Jericho and Christian facing Booker T and Goldust. Um, still got the beautiful traditional belt that uh, they would replace with those ugly looking World Tag Team titles in about a month. We have Tori Wilson versus Dawn Marie in a one-on-one match. They're going to wrestle? What are they wrestling for? Um, well, they've done everything else essentially with their bodies, so I guess they just have to actually fight now. Fair enough. Um, I'll say this every time we do this. I love the GIF match cards. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very good. I mean, they're it's... iconic. Uh, what's not iconic is this Photoshop job on the cast mm. on the Undertaker <laughs> that looks awful. No, well, what would you expect at this point in time? But uh, yeah, it's Brock Lesnar versus a casted Undertaker inside Hell in a Cell for the WWE Championship. I'll give them the credit of bothering to add the cast because, hey, storyline. But it's also like, did, did you really need to? So we have Angle and Benoit staring each other down backstage. Angle says that Benoit is jealous of his gold medals. But then realizes Benoit thinks that Angle had something to do with his attack last week. So even though we mentioned it earlier about the idea that Benoit's watching the product, Angle clearly doesn't. So he still thinks that Benoit. Well, that, that makes sense. You see, Kurt Angle's too busy you know, hitting the gym and drinking milk to turn on the boob tube. So I understand him not watching the product. Angle says that he, if he'd attack Benoit, he would do it face to face. Angle says that both a shot at the tag team titles and a one-year suspension is at stake here. Angle says that he doesn't need, well, essentially about the Olympic stuff that Eddie Guerrero posited last week. The idea that Angle says that he doesn't need a year to train to be Olympics ready. So, uh, Well, that's just not true, Kurt. No, and you would prove that very many years later. But uh, uh, Benoit, again, just says absolutely nothing in this entire segment. He's keeping his cards close to his chest. But, uh, yep, so that's uh, when we're moving into the tag title match scene. But before that, we have the biggest thing in this entire show, which is Tori Wilson. Well, how would we know? He's wearing clothes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dawn had two big things that she was covering up as well. So I guess fair, fair enough. Uh, so Tori runs into Jan backstage and Jan says that the card on the flowers that Al had given to her earlier actually said that they were for Dawn Marie, not for her. So Tori says, basically goes around looking. She talks to the production crew guy backstage and he he does the little like surreptitious point because he knows what they're up to and he's not really into it. I mean, why yeah, would you and he didn't point well enough because Tori was kind of just staring at him and then he had to kind of more forcefully point towards the locker room but i like the little shy like uh they're doing something else so tori enters the locker room she finds his clothes in the women's locker room then she then enters the showers where a mostly dressed al wilson is being caressed in the shower by a naked dormer it's funny because first of all you wear glasses, right? Yes, I do. I wear glasses. Do you Why would you put them on in the shower? shower? <laughs> yeah, like I, I don't, I don't put leave my glasses on in the shower. I don't think that there's ever a need to really need to look at something that closely. Yeah, I mean, like, what are you, what are you doing, Al? Yeah, it's just I guess they just thought it would be funny. Like the old man is still dressed and he's wearing his glasses, and that's like a hilarious visual. 
like Vince probably fell over in his chair while they were filming this. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Tori just looks aghast that there's some runs away as Al just watches. What is go. Al now? Like he's like, oh no, I'm so sorry, I got caught. Even though it was clear I was coming here to do this. Yeah, I know. Oh well, it's just I guess he's just he didn't want Tori to see it like that. Well, then he should have gotten her her own flowers so you don't make this mistake. Well, yeah, and you shouldn't just be doing it in the locker room or anything like that. Like, yeah, you know. Why did you go like... in the women's locker room? Why didn't you take Dawn out or whatever? I guess Dawn suggested the locker room knowing that Tori would find her there. Yeah, because after all, this all stems from like, hey, Tori, you should be with me. Because that's how the angle starts and that's kind of how it finishes. So let's move on to the main event. Wrestling. Kurt Angle, Chris, yeah, move on to the actual wrestling. Uh, Kurt Angle versus Chris, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit, should I say, versus Los Guerreros, Eddie and Chavo. So this is a very, very good match. But it's it's kind of not quite at the super height that you expect it to because it has an angle running through it. Obviously, it has Kurt Angle running through it, but it has an angle itself inside of it as well. So, But the match itself is just, you can't have a bad match between these guys. Honestly, the way this plays out, if this was nowadays, I would assume, oh, it's going to be, they're going to do some kind of fuck finish on SmackDown, and we're just going to get a three-way at the pay-per-view, because it very much looks like we're headed towards a triple threat tag, and we would be, just not at no mercy. I'd put this out there. Kurt Angle and Ed Guerrero is underrated in terms of, as a feud... And as like just their chemistry together, it's That's just fair. absolutely wicked. Like I, I still hold that their match at WrestleMania 20. Obviously, it's not the best match on the show because of that triple threat, but it is. It, it's not far off that triple threat match. I think that match would be more fondly remembered as a WrestleMania match if it didn't have the finish that it does. Like I, I know that that's part of Eddie's gimmick, you know. Lie, cheat, steal, do whatever you have to. But it seemed more Looney Tunes than anything. And mm. I think it hurt it. It hurt its uh, legacy in the long run. So the match basically just goes as you'd expect it to. A lot of suplexes by Angle and Benoit. Um, Angle is using... Um, well, it's the idea that uh, Benoit still has no problem just chopping down Eddie and Chavo. So there's still no allegiance there anymore. Um and then at this point, uh, Eddie and Chavo get the heat because they're the heels in this match, even though it's really a heel versus heel match. But the crowd gets super behind Kurt Angle in this match. Yeah, and you know, Kurt does become a babyface for all of three weeks Yeah, in uh, December. And I wonder what that would have been like if you just would have kept, you know, keep Lesnar with Heyman and have Angle be the babyface. Going into WrestleMania. Yeah, it could have been interesting. It was just that, again, it's in Toronto and everyone likes to describe Toronto as like Looney Town, especially when it comes to wrestling and the idea that people just chant for people that you don't expect them to chant for. The Which most is famous now just exa- crowds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. The famous example, obviously, being um, SummerSlam 2004, where they booed Edge, even though Edge is from Toronto because he was sleeping with Leah. You know, uh, Edge here, now that you mentioned Edge in Toronto, for the run-in where he does the spear, 
I don't think I've ever seen Edge, and maybe this has to do with the fact that he has an X surgery in a few months, but his spears at this time look so much more forceful and intense. Yeah. I, I actually forgot to mention that thing at the start of it, so thank you for reminding me. It's the idea that because of the attack earlier in the show, Edge and Rey Mysterio came out to attack Los Guerreros before the uh, match began. And then they, and then for some reason, Eddie and... Uh, not Eddie, uh, Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit stop Eddie, Edge and Rey Mysterio attacking the Guerreros and decide that they'll get beaten up by Edge and Rey Mysterio instead for a little while. Well, they just want to fight. They're, they're just two guys who want to fight at all costs because they enjoy it. Benoit hits German suplexes to both Guerreros following the... Um, Following a hot tag, uh, doubling headbutt onto Eddie. Uh, Chavo breaks up the pin, but gets then hits a nasty brainbuster to Kurt Angle. Oh, that was a sick. That was like a straight drop almost. I miss Eddie's brainbusters. He no, does that was them. Chavo's brainbuster. That was Chavo hitting the brainbuster. Um, yeah. What am I talking about? You're talking about Eddie's but brainbuster. They both have great brainbusters. They both have great brainbusters, and most of the time, I'll be real. Post Eddie's death, I hate Chavo. I think Chavo just like comes out as like a memorial act and does all of Eddie's high spots. But Chavo here, there's a reason he was thrown into the SmackDown Six, and it's not just because he's Eddie's nephew. Chavo's a great worker, hell of a brainbuster, always been entertaining from the comedy standpoint. And yeah, you put four wrestlers in a ring that know how to wrestle, and it's really good. I do a great spot where. Eddie climbs up for the frog splash, and they do the spot where Angle nips up, or doesn't nip up, but he just like gets up really quickly, and he scales the turnbuckle, and everyone's expecting he's going to hit a suplex off there, but Eddie stops him, throws him off, and then hits the frog splash. So that was a great like bait and switch there. Uh, but Benoit breaks up the pin, and then cross faces Eddie. Uh, Benoit then suplexes, what get Chavo breaks up, but then Benoit suplexes Chavo out of the ring. Eddie then sends Angle into Benoit and the referee, so they're both out. Angle reverses a lasso from El Paso into the ankle lock. Eddie taps out, but there's no referee. So this is the point where Chavo brings in a chair, but Benoit takes it off him. While Angle is still holding um, Guerrero in the uh, in the ankle lock with his back turns, this whole thing. And then Benoit essentially alludes to the fact that he's on the Guerrero's side and he wants to shake Chavo's hand. Chavo like like believes it because it's a stupid heel, and well, uh, they're family at this point. Yeah, they are family yeah. at this point. So, uh, so Chavo like um, so Benoit basically acts like he's going to hit Angle for a bit, but then he swings the chair, hits Chavo in the head, then he hits Guerrero in the back. Angle hits the angle slam. Referee gets back in the ring thanks to with help from uh, Benoit. Makes the cover and Angle and Benoit make it to the finals of the tag team title tournament. And this coming Sunday, well, I guess it won't be Sunday for us. It'll be Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah Tuesday. this coming Tuesday, we're going to talk about one of the greatest 2v2 tag team matches in WWE history. Absolutely. So that'll be definitely something to very much look forward to. So Angle and Benoit will take on Edge and Rey Mysterio at No Mercy. And at this point, Angle and Benoit look like they're as much on the same page as they ever really were. And this is about as much as they would be. I, I just want to point out here, obviously we're going to get to so many more of these matches, but still to come on this journey, there is a triple threat tag, a two out of three falls tag, 
a fatal four-way with world championship implications and a match that you have to see to believe at the Royal Rumble, all involving some form of these men. And God, it is just so good. I think you're even missing the um, the triple threat tag team match they have at Survivor Series as well. Yeah, it's all just so good from these six. Yeah, we're entering a sustained period of excellent matches between these guys. So, but it's not the it's not the main main event. It's the main event match, but there's still one more segment to go. Uh, Mark Lloyd is pacing outside of Stephanie's office. Uh, when she exits, he asks if she's made her decision yet. She says that she has, but she will make the announcement publicly in the ring. So Mark Lloyd just gone TV for no reason. Oh uh, uh, well, but, but I guess there, I guess there must be some quota. Lloyd, and... Yeah, there must be some quota that you need to have Mark Lloyd on for X amount of minutes. You know what it is? Is Michael Cole has graduated from the whipping boy announcer that everybody can screw with, and we don't have Josh Matthews yet, so we're we're just stuck with this dork. So Stephanie comes to the ring, asks Lesnar and Heyman to join her in the ring. Lesnar comes out; he's now got a bandaid over his head. Uh, Stephanie does the McMahon trait of rambling on for minutes on end without actually getting onto the point that she wants to. That we're all here for her to listen to. That's gotten her very far in life. Yeah, she just weighs up the pros and cons of Undertaker keeping his cast on for several minutes. Uh, Stephanie finally announces that Taker will be allowed to wear his cast. And that's when I went, well, why did you bring out Lesnar and Heyman at this point if you're basically just going to give them really bad news? Well, why did you feel the need to end the show with this announcement and make it in the ring when you announced the Hell in a Cell main event of your pay-per-view? Just like backstage as you're walking out of the building. So, uh, st- yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, why? Uh, wrestling, no logic. You know, you know what true. it's like. Uh, Stephanie, as Stephanie goes to leave, seemingly convinced that Lesnar and Hayden will just take this kindly and just let her go, Lesnar stops her exiting, corners her in the turnbuckle, and starts like leaning into her and touching her hair really creepily. Like how and I guess how like a, a a wild gorilla would stalk his prey. It's very weird that they have Lesnar being a creep like this. Uh, Taker charges the ring to help, but Lesnar, I guess, was using this as an opportunity to bait the Undertaker in because he sees it coming, and then Spinebusters take a hard into the mat as Taker is lying down helpless. Um, Heyman just like slapping him in the face as Lesnar just beats the hell out of him. So. Just it, Lesnar stomping the cast, just doing as much damage as he possibly could. Heyman knows the take is hurt, so he's getting really cocky and arrogant about this whole thing. So as uh, Heyman, they go to leave, but then Heyman gets really cocky and he goes for one more cheap shot. But Taker catches his kick, and then he attacks both of them with the cast. So Lesnar's like knocked out again, and he just repeatedly is beating up Paul Heyman in the corner with his cast. For, yeah, like, Paul Heyman. Must be very motivated here because he's, you know, he's cutting himself open. Uh, he's taking strikes from the best pure striker in all of WWE. Mm. Paul Heyman does not need to be doing all of this, but he is. So I appreciate it. No, and everyone appreciates Heyman being beaten up at this point in time. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was a good. That was a good segment to kind of cap it off, really. So that's how. That's the final build up for the main event of No Mercy, and that's the end of this edition of SmackDown. So I, I kind of like I walked away. I didn't know really how to gauge this one in terms of if I liked it or not. 
I'm better than last week because it it writes off Tracy kind of, and it's a much better go home than the go home for Unforgiven. I'll say that. Yeah. So it was there were some good matches and storylines have progressed, but there is a lot of talking in these shows now, and the Tracy stuff is still bullshit, and the Owls and Dormery stuff is cringeworthy. So it's like there's there's a, a a lot of good and bad on both on these shows at the moment. So I can't give it two thumbs up, but it's a uh, maybe even thumbs in the middle really for this one. I would agree, thumbs in the middle. We're onward and upward, I believe. I hope I hope so at this point. But we will be onwards and upwards with No Mercy. So this is an opportunity to obviously talk about the Patreon. So No Mercy will be show- doing like our pay-per-view reviews as we've been doing over the past few months just to basically complete the full circle. So we will be reviewing that entire pay-per-view for people at the $10 tier or above for Patreon. So if you're at that level or above, then hopefully you look forward to that episode coming out on Tuesday. And if you're even if you're not at that tier and you've only got like a dollar to spare or anything like that, any amount of change or support you can lend just helps immeasurably. As we have mentioned, Tony has got a wedding coming up, so any like even a buck a month would go a long way to that. Maybe you would buy an extra like cocktail tray or anything like that. I I mean, listen, Tony has invited us to the wedding, and there's a good chance one dollar from everybody that subscribes to this channel. It gets me there and back and, and more for Tony to play around with. So there you go. Think about that. So other stuff you can obviously help in the monetary side of things is the Redbubble and T-Public uh, merchandise shop. So pick up some smart camo merchandise, pick up a mask, pick up a shower curtain, pick up a pin. Actually, there's tons of different things that you can have Biggie's package written on it or anything like that. So there's plenty of have <laughs> Yeah, we have a Biggie's package one. That was a very That's a very old joke from uh, a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I'm sure there was plenty of stuff there that uh, might capture your interest. When they um, want to show your support for the current election, have a Rock for President uh, shirt or anything like that. There is the, uh, I believe over on the Fanboys uh, shops, there is the Fly 2020 that just references the fly that was on uh, Mike Pence's head for a long time. We can speak about that a little bit. Fanboys Anonymous, that's the like the sister site to smilecatmoment.com where Tony does all the geek culture stuff, the movies, video games, TV shows, all that other stuff. So check that out. That They have, they have their own Patreon, their own social media stuff, so you can find them on all their platforms there. Uh, find Smilecat Moment on their own platforms on Facebook and Twitter and check out the website for all the great articles that is on there as well. Join the Mega Maniacs on Facebook for... If you want to just be involved with some other like wrestling fans, get engaged with the community there, join us for like pay-per-view nights, stuff like that. Keep on track with what's going on in the Fantasy League. Spoiler, I'm always winning. Yeah, that's probably going to be the case until the end of it. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. I'm, I might make some stupid mistakes down the line. But um, that's uh, I think that covers my side of things, at least for the time being. Rob, do you want to throw out your stuff? Yeah, um, obviously you can find me on Twitter, at DudeFelice. You can check out everything I'm doing on WrestleZone and Fightful. If you want to check me out on more podcasts, there's the WrestleZone Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm on it Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. There is the Fightful Wednesday Night War Podcast, which I'm on Wednesdays on YouTube. And I'm always 
enjoying wrestling and I'm always around, so I appreciate all the support. Absolutely. So next week will be episode 18, of course, and in that edition, you can look forward to a main event. A main event of well, that involves the new SmackDown Tag Team Champions. I won't say in what configuration just yet, in case you you don't know what happens and I don't, don't want to spoil it for you. We see the fallout of the Undertaker Brock Lesnar match and a big arrival on SmackDown. Very big arrival. Yeah, more very much than one. So. Yeah, very much one more progression of the Al Wilson, Dawn Marie, Tori Wilson stuff. So. Yeah, you look forward to that. And also, like, we crown new number one contenders for the Tag Team Championships. There's, like, other other matches and involvements on there as well, with, like, Matt Hardy's appearing, Rikishi will probably be on there and stuff like that. So, yeah, plenty to look forward to for another episode of SmackDown. And I think it'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see you either for on Tuesday for the Patreon stuff. If, if you're not on the Patreon, then we'll see you next Saturday for another edition. And yeah, follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. Follow all Rob's stuff and the stuff that he said earlier. And yeah, we will see you when we see you. But for now, this has been another Smart Out moment, and we are being counted out. Ah!